Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to a perpetual feast here on the Cersei Institute Podcast Network. I'm David Kern, a producer here at the Cersei Podcast Network. And before we kick it over to the show with Wes Callahan and Andrew Kern, I just need to say a quick word from our sponsor. Roman Roads Media is a publisher of classical Christian curriculum designed for homeschoolers and homeschool co-ops. And they're back this year with a giveaway for Cersei Podcast listeners. Each episode of Perpetual Feast, they're going to be giving away one of the 16 units from Wes Callahan's Old Western Culture Series, a high school video course that guides you through the great books of Western Civ. Complete with workbooks, discussion, questions, and readers, Wes Callahan draws from decades of teaching experience as he tells the story of Western civilization, integrating history, literature, theology, politics, philosophy, and so much more. Here's how to enter this giveaway. When this episode is posted on our Facebook page, on the Cersei Facebook page, leave a comment saying which unit of the Old Western Culture you would choose if you win. One of the comments will be drawn at random three days after the episode is posted. To browse the available titles in the Old Western Culture series, please visit www.romanroadsmedia.com. So thanks to our good friends over at Roman Roads Media for sponsoring this season of A Perpetual Feast, uh, especially with Wes Callahan being one of the co-stars of this show. We are really honored to continue partnering with Roman Roads and with Wes Callahan to make great content for you. We hope you really enjoy this season. Uh, so without further ado, I'll kick it over to Andrew Kern and Wes Callahan and their ongoing conversation of the works of Homer. Enjoy. So the Trojans kept watch, but the Achaeans were possessed by an awesome panic, the fellow of icy terror. All their best men were assailed by an unendurable grief. As two winds whip up the deep sea, flush with fish, winds of the north and west, a gale from Thrace tearing in suddenly, and at once the dark wave swells and crests, strewing much seaweed along the water's edge, just so the Achaean spirit was shredded in their breasts. The son of Atreus, heart-stricken with great sorrow, went to fro, commanding the clear-voiced heralds call every man by name to the place of assembly, but not to shout names aloud, and himself went to work among the foremost. So they sat in assembly, much troubled, and Agamemnon stood up, shedding tears like a blackwater spring that pours down some sheer rock face its dark cascade. Just so, heavily sighing, he addressed the Argives in these words. My friends, you leaders and lords of the Argives, Zeus, great son of Kronos, has snared me in a vile deception. 
harsh God who once promised me gave his nod to it that I'd not return home until I'd sacked Strongwald Ilion. Now he's thought up this mean trick, commands me to go back in dishonor to Argos, when I've lost so many men. This, I suppose, is Almighty Zeus's idea of a joke. He who's brought down the high ramparts of so many cities, and will bring down still more, since his is the greatest power. Come then, let us all agree to do as I declare. Let us flee in our ships, sail back to our own country, for now we'll never capture Troy of the wide ways. Andrew? Hey, Wes, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. What, 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 are, you, what are you reading, Andrew? You may have heard of this book. Yeah? What book is it? The Iliad. Oh, you know, I have heard of it. Book nine. Book nine. And what's going on there? What's happening in the passage you just read? Something about people heart-stricken with sorrow and Zeus catching them in bitter futility and desiring to leave. What's going on? Well, it's the Greek camp. And Agamemnon is a general, so of course he's coming up with a way to flee. Out on the mm. out on the plain at the end of book eight, a thousand fires were alight in the plain, and by each one fifty men were gathered in the glow of the blazing fire while their horses, munching away at white barley and spelt, stood by their chariots awaiting the bright throne dawn. So the Trojans were really happy and peaceful campfires oh, going yes. on. They kept watch, but the Achaeans, on the other hand, were possessed by an awesome panic. So what's happened is at the end of Book 8, the Trojans are about to break through the Greek camp. Mm-hmm. But the, the gods have stopped the war for the night, and the Greeks now are trying to decide what to do. The, this war has been renewed after really, probably, you could almost say, begun in terms of direct confrontation after 10 years and the Greeks attacked, and they thought this will be easy, like the Civil War kind of, and they, it wasn't. So now they've been driven back to their camp behind their walls. The Trojans are out on the plain, and the Greeks are saying, well, and Agamemnon is saying, what are we going to do? And, and just like the day before, his plan is let's leave. Mm. Yeah. And right after that, or just after where you uh, left off, uh, doesn't, um, doesn't Diomedes speak up and object let me just find my book. Ah, there it is. <laughs> it fell right open to the place. Of course, it helped that I had a book. Like that. Yeah, Diomedes speaks up and, and, and responds. <clears throat> and uh, 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 forgive me, let me just read a few lines here because I was struck as I was listening to what you were saying and then noticing how Diomedes responds. He says, son of Atreus, I will be the first to fight with your folly, as is my right, Lord, in this assembly. Then do not be angered. I was the first of the Danaeans whose valor you slighted and said I was unwarlike and without courage. The young men of the Argives know all these things, and the elders know it. The son of devious devising Kronos has given you gifts in two ways. With the scepter he gave you honor above all, but he did not give you a heart. And of all power, this is the greatest. Hmm. Wow. I, I, I've, I've been intrigued by that passage right there, those lines right there for a long time. The son of Cronus, Zeus, has given you, Agamemnon, gifts in two ways. With the scepter, he gave you honor, but he did not give you a heart. You have the Peter Green translation, right? I do. Yeah, would you read, read, read those lines there? How does he say it? Okay. He says, you received a double-edged gift from the son of Cronus, devious schemer. With the scepter, he granted you honor above all others, yet courage, the highest power, he did not give you. Mm. 
Hmm. That's an interesting description of Agamemnon, who's such a central figure in the story, isn't it? He has the honor Absolutely. of a great king with the scepter. He gave you honor, but he gave did not give you courage. Uh, did not give you a heart, as Lattimore says. It gave you no heart. Yeah. That's the dynamic of the book, isn't it? We're, we're looking at Achilles, who has who has no honor but great heart, you might say, because his honor has been taken away. Yeah. But Agamemnon has great honor but, but no, no heart, heart, it seems here. Now, yeah. I mean, during – we're talking about Section 2 today. By the way, for those who are just listening in, this is the Perpetual Feast, and this is Episode 6, during which we're talking about Section 2 of the Iliad, Books 9 through 15. And what I was about to say is that in 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 these books, Agamemnon does have his what's called an or Aristea. He does have his moment of glory. So he's not totally heartless. But on the, these two consecutive days, he has proposed to the Greeks that they go home. Meanwhile, Achilles has withdrawn from the battle, but not because he lacks courage, precisely because he has so much courage that he can even stand up to his own people, some would say, but he doesn't have honor because his honor was taken away. That's interesting. Um, There's uh, some more minor figures, uh, while still fairly important to the story, could be characterized in a similar way, uh, like Paris. Uh, Paris, in book six, when uh, Hector goes back into the city, Paris is already there. He was taken there by Aphrodite in book four when the truce is broken. So Paris has been hanging out and, you know, in his suite back in, in Troy. Hector goes back and finds him. And then uh, and then we have this, we, we, we see a, a real strong contrast drawn between Hector and Paris in book six. Uh, but at the end of book six, the both of them leave Troy together and they go back out into the plain to fight. But Hector is burdened with the weight of responsibility and so on, having just been with his mother and, and Helen and his wife and his son. Uh, and Paris is uh, eagerly going, running back out, but he's compared by Homer to a, to a well-fed horse fresh from his stall. He bounces on, come on, brothers, go fight. Isn't this a good day for fighting? Paris isn't. Uh, you know, he's, he's, <clears throat> he's been whisked back to Troy and he's been hanging out in Troy, but not because he's a coward. He just doesn't have... Um, he's he's like Ag- he's like Agamemnon. They're, neither of them are afraid to fight. Like you said, Agamemnon is going to have an Aristea in Book Eleven. He's going to be in the lead for a bit, so he's no he's no coward um, uh, in battle. But there's another way in which he doesn't have uh, the heart, the um, the gumption, the stick-to-itiveness, the will to to, to to press on. He quickly gives up. Um, so whatever heart represents here. Um, uh, is, is reflected in Paris and some other people too, but but in Agamemnon, for him not to have that, he's the leader. And like you said, that's a that's a really nice, nice contrast. I like the way you flipped him and, and Achilles. He has no he has honor but no heart. Achilles is all heart but no honor. Hmm. But in but 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 you but as you as you mentioned, this is the beginning of book of section two. We talked about section one and saw the build up. Now we're at the beginning of section two, and we and perhaps we can expect to see more of this develop. Well, I'm especially, glad you brought in. Oh, forgive no, me. Go ahead. I was just going to say, especially the theme of the theme of Achilles' loss of honor and how that's driving this story. But what what were you about to say? Well, that that now I'm so glad you mentioned Book Eleven and, and Agamemnon having his Aristea there because it's what Homer so skillfully does is he prepares us for what's coming later, and what's coming later is an enormous outburst of, of, uh, of glory <laughs> of, of yeah. Achilles demanding glory of being on the battlefield and manifesting his, his military glory, which is that yeah. that's what the Aristea is. 
But in preparing us for that, Homer gives us all these foreshadowings in other people. So back in book four, I think it was, or book five, Diomedes, whom you just mentioned, he has his Aristea. He has his moment of glory. Is it that, is it that far back where he already attacks Aphrodite? Yeah. He, he actually attacks a goddess. And this is, <laughs> this is amazing, right? This is, wow, what a great hero <laughs> that he would do right. that. He's, he's got a lot of courage. Um, so we see Diomedes and he kills a lot of people on the battlefield. And, and then as we get into books 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, um, we're out on the battlefield and one after another of the Greek heroes or a Trojan hero has his moment of glory. Hector's going to kind of reach the pinnacle of his glory. And in a way, this section that we're on now, section two, nine through 15, books nine through 15, is, is um, where Homer just puts out for display one person after another all of which are saying these are really great people and yeah, yet yeah. they're going to pale in comparison to what follows. Yeah. But it's launched. You just mentioned it's the beginning of, of section two. It's launched by non-action books, nine and 10. Um, I guess you could say book 10 is, is an Odyssean Aristea, but, but books nine and 10 are at night there. There's no action on the battlefield. And so in book nine, um, I talk, I was reading about Agamemnon and his his um, desire to retreat. Mm-hmm. We've got a problem here, right? And and I'm I'm going to contend, and if we get a chance today, I'm going to contend that every single book in the Iliad is structured on a on a wonderful little pattern that is simple to do, and Homer does it um, with an incredible complexity. Sort of like the way you know a sonata always has um, theme anti-theme resolution, right? And, and But but everybody who makes this a sonata does it with great complexity. Homer has a way in all 24 books of presenting early on in the book, most of the time, there's a problem or an issue and a decision is made. Then that decision leads to an action and then that action leads to an aftermath. And the aftermath, and I'm getting this particularly spelled out by Bruce Hyden in his book, Homer's Cosmic Fabrication, um, I was sitting there looking at the Iliad, noticing that there there seems to be all these speeches and debates going on all the time, more more even than battle. Yeah. Um, people are debating about things. They're making decisions about the future or the past. I was fascinated by that because I was looking at it in light of of, Aristotle, of rhetoric, sorry. And and that's a big deal in Book Nine. So forgive me for taking in too many threads in this one sentence. What I'm trying to say is this. In each book, and we can show this in 9 through 15, there's, the book begins with a problem situation where a decision is made. Then there's an action that implements that decision. And then there's an aftermath that brings the book to a state of plot rest, not necessarily characters resting, but the plot rests. And I think the Alexandrians got that. That's why they divided the books where they did. Okay, so all of that... Would is, you call this a chiastic structure within each book? Well... I don't know about that, but this, but this is what I do think is, and, and, and Haydn goes into this too. It seems like there's some chiastic structure um, in each section so that in, in, we talked about this a bit, at least in the last session where book one goes with book eight, two with seven, three with six and four and five go together in the second section. Um, nine and 15 are very chiastic. So, so, so uh, they echo each other a lot. Um, I don't think you have the clean chiasm of it going 9, 15, 10, 14, 11, 12, and then 13 sitting in the middle. 
and and Haydn persuaded me on this. So if I keep referring to him, I hope you'll all just recognize it's an act of, of uh, appreciation to what he's done because it's really impressive. Um, but but nine and fifteen echo each other. But he he suggests that nine, ten, and eleven all are echoed in fifteen, mm-hmm. and twelve, thirteen, and fourteen are kind of the middle section, and 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 that's that's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at 9, 10, and 11, in 9, we're looking at what's called the embassy to Achilles, and it's a story of its own. In 10, we're looking at Odysseus and Diomedes going into the Trojan camp and spying. It's, they call it the spy mission, typically. And some people even argue that that doesn't belong in the Iliad. I, I completely disagree. Um, but some people say that. But then in 11, the next day begins and we launch into the battles of the next day. 12, 13, and 14, those books, they call this the long day because because from book, what is it? Book 11 through book, is it 18 or 19 is all one day? Yeah, it's 18. And it's tons of of people killing each other right peter lightheart called the called his um some his title i think of his iliad guide was um fighters killing fighters killed is that right um (laughs) i mean that's what and he took that phrase from from homer that's what's going on fighters killing fighters killed um so we're we're really going to see that multiple heroes multiple aristeas in books 11 through 14 but in 15 we're going to get to the end of the day. And you mentioned last time how, how um, Patroclus goes somewhere. Is it book 11 or 12? He goes to Nestor, I think, right? It's book 11, yeah. At the end of book 11, he goes to Nestor, right? And then he, uh-huh. then he goes to a wounded warrior around 14. And we don't see him again until 16. Well, actually, it's at, oh, at 15, the end of 11. 15. It's even at the end of 11, he goes to the wounded warrior, and then he drops out from 11 until 16, doesn't show up again. From 11 right. to 16. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So well, now it, some of our readers might be wearing out on our discussion about structure, might want to hear the story. So maybe it would be a good idea if we looked at, at, at books 9 through 15 really, really briefly. And... Uh, sort of looked at what what's the what's the problem situation the decision and the action that takes place in each book and i'm gonna i i've been reading Haydn and i don't think you have so uh, it's maybe unfair for me to to jump into that structure and since i like being not fair i'm going to use this to ask you really hard questions to see if you really know this book okay so if you look if you look at book 9 Wes, what would you say is the problem that is being dealt with? Uh, the fact that the Achaeans are losing. Zeus is keeping his That's promise. That's a pretty to, good summary. Zeus, yeah, Zeus is keeping his promise to uh, to Achilles. <clears throat> Excellent. That's it, isn't it? And so yeah. they call a council or they have another council and that was my point earlier that when these problems arise they keep having debates. Yeah. So in book 9, they have this camp, they have this debate. And I think it was Nestor who gives the sort of persuasive speech to to do something. And what what does Nestor say they should do? Do you remember? Well, he tells them they need to go to Achilles and resolve this thing. And what decision do they all make <laughs> to do that? They they ask Agamemnon. Okay, good. They ask Agamemnon, Agamemnon to to uh, to make an offer of reconciliation, and he does. So he gives this 
the speech that he then makes is in response to their request. Yeah. Basically, they say to Agamemnon, okay, you jerk, humble yourself before Achilles, absolutely <laughs> humiliate yourself, give him a thousand times more than you were going to before. Uh-huh. And Agamemnon says, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a pretty, pretty impressive moment from one perspective for Agamemnon. It's, yeah. it's pretty impressive how much he's willing to give up here. Very honorable, you might say. Yeah. Okay, so then what's the action that follows the decision? Well, they make the offer of reconciliation to Achilles, and he rejects it. That's the action. But how do they make the offer? Well, the, I would say the action is is the the okay. If the decision is to decision, offer reconciliation, the offer reconciliation, what's the action? Yeah. So Agamemnon uh, gives a long speech in which he offers uh, the um, uh, makes the offer of restitution, and then Odysseus carries this message and repeats it uh, verbatim with a very significant omission, but he repeats it verbatim to Achilles. <laughs> Telling him all the things that, that Agamemnon has offered, uh, if he will, if he will come back and fight. Yeah. Well, you just made me really depressed. <laughs> Why is that? The, the thing. Well, because I'm sitting here looking at my book, book nine, and I'm thinking we're we're talking about books nine through fifteen, which is seven books, and we have about a half hour. And all I want to do now is read, 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 read. I mean, there's so many great lines in this book. Half hour already. I know it. I know it. You creep. <laughs> I feel my job is done here. My work is done. Yeah. And then not only that, but then you go dropping this hint. You go dropping this hint that Odysseus leaves something out, which we, of course, can't explore because it would be too detailed. Sorry, listeners, you're going to have to read book nine because I'm going to let me just say this. I have I have heard it said that books 16 through 24 of the Iliad are the most perfect sustained poetry ever written by a human being. Hmm. In other words, that that length. And and I'm inclined to believe that that section. I don't know Greek, but that section seems almost flawless to me. But if there's something that can compare with that, it's going to be book nine. I mean, this this book is incredible. And I wish we could go into it, but I'll drop one hint for people who want to that. Agamemnon does agree, and as, as Wes, you said, they send three people, and Odysseus gives one speech. Who else gives a speech? Well, then, uh, uh, his, uh, his friend uh, Phoenix, who's, um, <clears throat> uh, who's an old friend of the family, uh, and Aias, uh, who's a fellow warrior. So Phoenix uh, gives a speech, uh, um, and Aias gives a speech. These speeches are much shorter, of course. Um, Odysseus is the one that carries the burden of what Agamemnon said. Uh, Phoenix and Aias uh, have their own message, uh, you know, um, appealing to family, uh, to the family relations of the past, appealing to, to a fellow warrior, war, warriorly feeling. Um, and uh, but of course, <clears throat> um, to no avail. I would challenge that. But um, there's there's well, we can't, though, we can't fight about it now. We don't have time. But. But what Martin Cawthron suggests, and I, and I think he derives this from the tradition that maybe from even Aristotle, that those three speeches represent the three different modes of persuasion. In other words, if you're trying to persuade another person, there's three things you need to do. You need to communicate a message. In Greek, that would be the logos. You need to appeal to the emotions of the person because that's part of his humanity. And that would be in Greek, pathos. And you also need to have the character that sustains or accords with the message, and that's ethos. And so what we have is is Odysseus is Logos delivering the message. Um, um, 
Phoenix is pathos appealing to warriorly feeling and kindred feeling and, you know, back, you know, old remembering old times. And then Ayas or Ajax is is the ethos of a warrior. And it's so fascinating because Ajax hardly says anything. He basically says, okay, if you're going to be like this, I'm out of here. I don't really care. But that, but that of course is tremendous. ethos, Right. Right. And, and that moves Achilles. And, and while he doesn't enter the battle, I do think he moves because at the beginning of book nine, Achilles was, was saying, I'm leaving in the morning. I'm sailing home. By the end of book nine, they have persuaded him to stay and in fact, it's not going to be very long from now that he's going to agree to send Patroclus into battle. Uh, I, yeah, I, um, I, I like what you're saying about the about the three modes of persuasion. I think that fits nicely. Um, I'm I'm a little uh, I'm a little flummoxed as, as as to why you object when I say uh, their messages were all failures. But I think you can only say that if you change the definition of what success would have been here in Book Nine. If the point of uh, if the if the point of the of, of the uh, of the embassy is to get Achilles back into battle, which is what Agamemnon wants, and clearly uh, there is a, it's a failure. Uh, but if the if the point is to gradually change his mind, at least he's going to stay, and so on. Um, yeah, there's some success there, but that's not what they went there for. That's not what Agamemnon wanted. They don't have time. Yeah, I'll grant you that. The Trojans are camped on the plain right outside, and when morning dawns, the Achaeans are going to be toast if something doesn't happen right now tonight. Yes, I, I will grant you that. It's it's certainly not the success that they were hoping for. Wow. I, I like it when I, I like it when you grant me concessions. <laughs> it's they don't they don't persuade him to enter the battle. Right. They don't have a total success. I guess what I'm suggesting is they're somewhere in the middle. They don't have a total failure either. No, Andrew, it's an abject failure. Agamemnon wants him back, offers a huge offer of restitution, Achilles turns it down. This is total failure. You're being unkind to me. <laughs> it's one of the modes of persuasion. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I, I think your ethos is definitely negative here, Wes. <laughs> oh, that's because I talk too much. I should be like Ayas. Well, I'm looking at the green charts, and I think I've been talking more than you. So, I, I think I think you, you've really you've really affected me deeply on the pathos level, and I don't think I can carry on this conversation anymore. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, here's a here's a handkerchief. However, Andrew, if we're if we're going to talk more about the rest of section two, we'll have to move on beyond book nine. So, <laughs> what would you like to do at this point? Well, since I'm now humbled and humiliated, I'll say let's let's <laughs> since since what we're arguing is that the sections begin and end with a decision by Achilles or a decision by Zeus. Let's take a look at book 15. Now, we have to skip book 10, which is the spy mission. Uh, people should definitely read that. And we have to we have to skip 11 through 14 too, which is lots and lots of blood and guts. And I know everybody wants to hear about that. But let's take a look at book 15. After quite a bit of blood and guts, after a lot of fighting, what happens in book 15? Well, I mean... My what we um, before you finish that thought, because I want to hear what you're about to say. But I mean, we could we could we could add a little bit more to just uh, there's a lot of blood and guts because well that's true, but it, but there's but there's a but there's a um, there's a trajectory here, or there's a there's a movement in um, um, in eleven through fifteen uh, that's that's um, interesting in 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 view of the of the um, the trajectory of the whole book. If the whole book is 
about Achilles's wrath and his consequences, and he appeals to to Zeus uh, to make the Trojans win for a while so that his honor will, will be restored and so on. Well, they make a they make an unsuccessful by by whatever measure they make an unsuccessful uh, appeal in Book Nine to get him back into battle. Now they succeed in some other things, but he doesn't come back to battle. So they have to face the dawn in Book Eleven without him. You're just rubbing this in, aren't you? You're just rubbing my wound. <laughs> Salt on a wound. Yeah. Uh, so, so um, in, in in eleven they go out, and 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 although what Zeus, what what Zeus is, should have done is kept is kept pressing the Trojans in order to keep his keep his word to Achilles. And in, in in book eleven, um, the 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 cans come roaring out of the camp, and they actually press the Trojans back for a while because of as you mentioned the Aristea of Agamemnon, and there's and Diomedes and Odysseus and these guys. But then the tide turns, and, the, and the, these great heroes start getting wounded, and Agamemnon, Diomedes, Odysseus, McCann, Eurypolis, they all get wounded and drop out, and then the Trojans uh, start um, having the upper hand again. So so Zeus's will in making the Trojans win is, is thwarted temporarily by this, by this initial roar of success in Book 11. But then uh, in Book 12, the Trojans attack the wall, and they actually break into the, the Achaean camp, so it's even worse in the position at the end of Book 8 and the beginning of Book 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Zeus thinks, okay, I've done my job. And so uh, in, uh, he turns his eyes away, Homer says, at the beginning of book 13. And Poseidon, his brother, who's on the Achaean side, notices that Zeus has turned his eyes away. And he takes advantage of the opportunity to get in and rally the Achaeans. And they drive the Trojans back again. And then in book 14, Hera sees what uh, uh, what Poseidon, her brother, is doing. And she's also on the side of the Achaeans. And so she keeps Zeus's attention distracted by momentarily seducing him and uh, and so, so between book eleven and book fifteen, there's a there's a back and forth like a like a like a tug of war with one side drawing the other and then the other side drawing. Zeus doesn't have his attention firmly fixed on keeping his promise to Achilles until uh, um, until book fifteen until the beginning. He's 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 lost, lost focus. That's fantastic. I'm so glad you put it that way because because that is what I was going to be getting at about book 15. It, it, that's precisely the the bridge we needed. Um, in book 15, Zeus is aroused and he gives his focus back, just as in I, I was arguing in book eight. He he is he gives his attention back yeah. to it, right? And and here in in 15, yeah. he gives his attention back. It's going to happen again in 24. As each section ends with Zeus being aroused to attend. And it even says, it says in, um, well, let me read the very opening of 15. And here I'm reading from Lattimore. But after they had crossed back over the ditch and the sharp stakes in flight, and this is the, uh, th- this Aias, is, Aias or Ajax is defending the Greek camp. It's just magnificent writing here. Um, but after they had yeah. crossed back over the ditch and the sharp stakes in flight, and many had gone down under the hands of the Danaeans, they checked about once more and stood their ground by the chariots, green for fear and terrified. So it's the opposite of book nine, where it was the, the Greeks who were green for fear and terrified in their city. Now we've got the Trojans outside on the camp by their chariots, green for fear and terrified. But right, now right. Zeus awakened, but now Zeus wakened by Hera of the gold throne on the high places of Ida and stood suddenly upright. 
I love that. He stood suddenly upright and saw the Achaeans and Trojans, these driven to flight, the others harrying them in confusion, these last Argives, and, which is the Greeks, and saw among them the Lord Poseidon, who wasn't supposed to be there. He saw Hector <laughs> lying in the plain, his companions sitting around him. He dazed at the heart and breathing painfully, vomiting blood, since not the weakest of the Achaeans hit him. Then the father of gods and men, seeing Hector, pitied him and looked scowling terribly at Hera. And you remember we talked earlier about the, the gold chain. That comes up again here where Zeus and, right, and his, right. you know, ta- Zeus takes control now. So um, he realizes what's happened, how much he's let slip by not paying attention. Yeah, he takes control. Yeah. So and you could I love the way he just put that he 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 realizes how much he'd let slip by not paying attention. Now, my conviction is if that if there's one kind of theme word to the Iliad to practical application to the Iliad, it would be the word choice. I, I believe the, the, the Iliad is about learning how to make choices and 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 the, the, the beginning point about making a choice is paying attention and Zeus I mean, Homer's teaching us both how to pay attention and the importance of paying attention. And Zeus kind of, you could say, if you wanted to, you could at least hypothesize, Zeus blows it by not paying attention. And, but then he's aroused now to pay attention and to get reengaged. So we go through that whole back and forth on the, on the earth because of the gods attending and not attending and, you know, working with each other. Meanwhile, Homer is achieving his purposes through Zeus and Achilles what then happens in book 15? Well, oh, let me back up. What's the it, problem in book 15? If we're, if we're arguing there's problem and decision followed by action, followed by, by um, what was the word I was using before? Um, uh, aftermath. Okay. What, what's the problem that has to be resolved in book 15? Well, from, from, from Zeus's perspective, the problem is things are not going at all the way that he should have had them going in order to keep his promise to Achilles. The, 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 the problem, by, by, the, by the end of Book 15, the problem is that the Trojans uh, have gotten uh, farther than any previous point, farther than at the end of Book 8, where they camped around the uh, Achaean um, battlements, and farther than they've gotten in, in uh, Book 12 when they have broken in. By the end of Book 15... Um, they've gotten right to the ships, uh, and they're about to burn the ships. And Hector actually has a hold of the stern of one of the ships, and he's calling for a torch, you know, bring me fire. Uh, and so it's, it's hard to imagine how, how the situation can be worse or more dire for the Achaeans now. And it's hard to imagine what more what more Achilles wants in terms of the suffering of the Achaeans before he's willing to go back in. Is that the ships are destroyed, all possibility Excellent. of flight is destroyed, and the Trojans have the upper hand, so it looks like the, Achille- the Achaeans will be cut down uh, and without a, an option to flee. So it's about as dark and low a point for the Achaeans um, uh, as, as possible. So at the, yeah, at the beginning of Book 15, uh, as you said, the, 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 um, uh, the Achaeans are doing quite well. By the end, the point is lower than any previous point in the book. And depressingly, we're running out of time, but I've got to ask you, read, read the last, let's say, 10 lines. Where it, who's, is that Ajax speaking or Hector speaking? It's, I, it's, 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 it's IS, yeah. Read that yeah, to so, us. Yeah, okay. So, uh, so they, they, the Trojans have pressed the Achaeans back around their very ships, deep inside the camp, down at the shore. 
uh, and uh, things are looking really desperate. And Ias, who's described all through the Iliad as a giant of a man, he's just as he's mm-hmm. built like a brick barn. He's huge, and he's like a Goliath. Uh, he's carrying a, you know, he's he's carries a gigantic shield and here he he jumps on up on the decks of the ships and he leaps from deck to deck of the ships fending off the trojans with this gigantic sea pike this described as like 22 feet long this is just monstrous or longer 33 feet i think it's 17 cubits or something it's like a telephone he's got a sharpened telephone pole Uh, he's a huge man and as he's jumping from deck to deck of the ship uh, the ships uh, he uh he um uh uh, we, we're told uh, Homer says uh, that he expected to die there, um, but he keeps on. He, but he keeps on working, knowing that there's no option. He stands. He waits for the Trojans with his pike. He, keep, he keeps the Trojans away, and he kept up a terrible bellowing and urged on the Danaans, friends and fighting men of the Danaans, henchmen of Ares. Be men now, dear friends. Remember your furious valor. Do we think there are others who stand behind us to help us? Have we some stronger wall that can rescue men from perdition? We have no city wall built strong with towers lying near us within which we could defend ourselves and hold off this host that matches us. We hold position in this plain of the close-armored Trojans bent back against the sea and far from the land of our fathers. Salvation's light is in our hands' work, not the mercy of battle. He spoke and came forward with his sharp spear, raging for battle. And wherever some Trojan crashed against the hollow ships with burning fire, who sought to wake the favor of Hector, Aias would wait for him and then stab with a long pike, and so from close up wounded twelve in front of the vessels. He expects to die. There's no hope uh, except in the in the in the in the hand in the fighting work of their hands. But he's uh, but he's he's. Uh, uh, bellowing to encourage the men as he jumps from deck deck the deck of the ships and hold off the trojans but this can't last long he can only do so much compare this with book nine compare his speech with achilles in the toward the end of book nine with this speech here this is the is we saw in book nine in book nine he basically uh, make, makes an appeal that I, I think just comes down to come on man we're warriors get out and fight that's your nature that's what you're meant to do and here he's doing just that. This is Is showing what he showing the character that he refers to in Book Nine. This is what a warrior does. If he's going to go down, he's going to go down fighting and take a bunch of people with him. What What really touches me is as you're reading what you've brought out for me is is his, I guess, despair. I mean, he leaves the discussion with Achilles, failing, and now in Book Fifteen yeah. he feels it's over. But this is, as you said, yeah. this is what a warrior does. And it's yeah. salvation's light is in our hands work. Not, the, I love the phrase, not the mercy of battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or even as, as one commentator pointed out, uh, Ias uh, is one of the few warriors in the book that never has the help of the gods. He always has to do it on his own, but here he is. And so salvation's work is not in, the, in their hands work or the mercy of battle or even the mer- help of the gods. It's what we do. Pick up your sword. You know, if we go down, we go down. But this is what I do. This is what I am. This is my nature and my telos. Huh. Well, then what we've got in book 15 is the problem decision, be, the problem being that Zeus's plan is being thwarted. And so that leads to, to really, there's, there's, uh, there's a, I mentioned earlier that Homer's an artist and doesn't just play, it doesn't just go problem action aftermath. Here he splits it in two. And I'll just mention this quickly that Hector 
is the one who leads this aftermath. I mean, sorry, this attack, this counterattack. And as Hector is leading the, the Trojans, Patroclus at that point rushes back to Achilles. He doesn't get there until book 16, I think, but he's rushing back. Yeah. In the beginning then, of book 16, he's rushing back. Yeah. And then yeah. as Patroclus goes back to Achilles, it jumps back to Hector, who's continuing his counterattack. And that leads to Ajax holding them off temporarily. And then that's, that's where we are. I mean, we, we have the, the double action aftermath kind of sequence again, borrowing from Bruce Hyden. I want to give total respect here, but um, we've got the problem being resolved by a, by a council of the gods this time. And then there's a double action where Hector leads. And and then the aftermath is that (laughs) the Greeks are in really big trouble. (laughs) And that brings us to the end of book 15, which sets the stage for that unparalleled greatness of book 16 through 24. Hey, I hope that we've left some hints that people will be able to take into the Iliad itself. Cause I'm a big devotee of the principle that CS Lewis scored that if you and I right now are playing the role of teacher and we're distracting people from the Iliad instead of guiding them into it and helping them enter into it, then I have failed every bit as much as as Odysseus, Phoenix, and, and Aeus have. My only goal here is to get Achilles to open the book. And if you are the Achilles in the audience that that needs to be persuaded to to read the Iliad, please read the Iliad. Don't don't I mean if you're choosing between listening to us and me talk about the Iliad and reading the Iliad yourself, stop listening and go read the book. It's it's magnificent beyond anything else you've ever read. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Our whole job would should be to drive people to abandon us and rush to the book. Yep. Yep. So having said that, hey, Wes, let's do this again. I'd like that, Andrew. Thanks for inviting me. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Okay, let's let's talk about 16 to 24 next time, and then we'll have covered the whole Iliad. Didn't think you that could sounds- do it in three episodes. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a great idea. It sounds like a wonderful theory. hey Wes yeah may the Lord remember you in his kingdom thank you Andrew God be with you as well my friend A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.